Welcome to episode 169 of Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Not too much, Andrew. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Good. Have you seen Ford vs. Ferrari that came out uh, last weekend? Was that an assignment I had that I was supposed to do? No, but I know you like to go to the movies a lot, so... I have not seen it yet. It's been a busy week. How about yourself? No, we were talking about seeing it, and we didn't get to see it yet. But, I mean, I wasn't, like, going to run out and see it anyways, because I've been burned so many times by racing movies. Right. Um, Wanted to wait for some reviews first. Yeah, and a lot of people said it's very good and very entertaining. Yep. So, it's worth checking out, I guess. Yeah, the only complaint I've heard, like, other than what we already discussed a few months ago about the all-season tires and the race cars, um, is that it doesn't. It still suffers from the um, the movie magic of racing. Like, oh, the only thing you need to do to win the race is shift three more gears up and actually push the gas pedal to the floor finally. Yeah. Um, and then I have an opinion on that now. Uh, is that uh, it doesn't matter because it's a Hollywood movie. Right. So that's the way Hollywood, Hollywood movies are made. Um, they're fantasy. They're totally fantasy, right? So yeah. you don't question any of the weird things in any of the Marvel movies. Because right. Because it's a Marvel movie. So just go to this movie and enjoy it for what it is. Which is what I'm going to do. But I, I think that the reason that bothers people more is because the Marvel movies aren't made to be a documentary of sorts or a but this is doc, a, a, doc, a docudrama of sorts. Whereas this is supposed to be more based in reality than, say, you know, Spider-Man. <laughs> I guess. But I bet there's there's issues with World War Two movies. So Oh, and 100%. And I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just saying, as our, as our chosen hobby being cars um it definitely is weird to watch a movie and be like oh they've been racing for a hundred miles and well now he wants to pass him so now he's gonna push the gas pedal all the way to the floor like it's just it's one of those like it's 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 always going to be there and you're right it's a hollywood thing it's not going to go away you have to expect it but it's just i'm not i'm not going to not notice it let's put it that way oh see i just ignore it in movies like this because I just know going in, I, I go to watch it as a movie. Right. And be entertained. And now think about as long what as actually it's happened. Mostly factually accurate on things they're trying to say that are factual. Then I'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't really care either. Yeah. I, I do only because when you're representing something like this as what actually happened, a, a dramatization of what actually happened. I think it's important to get, you know, timelines right and facts right. Like but that. you but could just go watch the documentary on it, like the 40 documentaries on this. I'm not I'm not saying there aren't other ways to take it in. I'm just saying that I think it's important that actual facts are present in a movie like this because the general movie-going public that's not going to watch the documentary about this stuff and hasn't spent their entire life reading about Ford versus Ferrari and who didn't know who Ken Miles was before last week they are going to take stuff out of this and they're going to spout it off as facts in the future. So, I guess. Whatever. I mean, it's like any movie, so. I know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm definitely going to go watch it. I just haven't had a chance yet because it's been a busy week. So, we actually may go maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow night. So, we'll see. Um, yeah, so... There was that, and then uh, I've got a gripe about TPMS sensors because they're, like, the worst thing ever in cars. Okay. Like, I'm okay with everything else, you know, uh, collision avoidance, rear traffic warning, the lane stuff, uh, lane departure stuff, the uh, blind spot monitoring. All that stuff is fine, but, like... Goddamn tire pressure sensors are so annoying. Especially because one of the simplest things you can do to a car to make it yours is just change the wheels. Right. And it makes it just an extra expense and an extra annoyance to deal with. Yes. Because, like, we switch from summer to winter tires on Stephanie's car, and I have the winter tires mounted on the stock wheels. uh, And, like... 
you know, every six months, you, we usually time it with another change. You bring it and you have it programmed. Um, and that costs whatever it costs, which is annoying because at this point I should just buy a programmer probably because there's enough cars in the family with TPMS sensors. Is but, it an um, individual programmer for just Subaru or is it for all TPMS sensors? I'd have to look into it, but you can generally buy a universal one these days that works with a bunch of different cars. Okay. Um, we definitely had a similar setup when I worked at the Mitsu dealer. We ended up buying one instead of sending used cars out and paying other dealers 100 bucks to program them. Right, which is annoying. It is super annoying. It should be like a courtesy service, you know, like, hey, if you program my TPMS sensors on these used cars, you can bring your used cars that are my brand over here, you know, should have been like I an mean, industry courtesy. You worked in dealerships long enough to know there's no such thing as courtesy in the industry, so. All right, but regardless, uh, that is what makes them annoying, and like, uh, she had a big 30K service, uh, and then... And he's like, oh, the tire light came back on after I left. And I was like, well, um, just call over there and be annoying. Yeah. Uh, and they were nice, but she was busy. So luckily I was off at that point, And then I had to bring it back over there. And then the guy like programmed it. And I'm like, oh, kid definitely forgot to program them. Like just doing right. all the other service, even though it was written down on the work order. So I have a thought on this that I've had for a long time, dealing with multiple different cars at body shops and my own personal car. Um, Every car on the road has, every modern car on the road has ABS. Um, So all four wheels have a speed sensor on them. Right. It would be very simple just to run tire pressure monitoring based on wheel speed differential. Well, Volkswagen Audi does that. I say, and my car has that. Yeah, and and my car has that. Yeah. And it's super convenient because it just means that you never have to reset anything as long as all four of your tires are close enough to the same size and the same tire pressure, you're fine. So there's never an issue. I mean, the only thing that obviously you lose with that is you lose the ability to know which tire is low. Actually, no, you wouldn't. No, because it's individual. Yeah. yeah, it would be able to. Yeah. So Volkswagen doesn't actually show that on my car. I don't know if the newer ones do or not. Uh, they probably do on newer cars or more expensive cars. Like with a more expensive nav system, it probably yeah. does. But anyway, it's a simple solution to an. It's a simple solution to a problem that does not need to be complicated. Exactly. Every car already has the components in place to do this. The and car's already. The car's yeah. already monitoring wheel speed, no matter what. Yeah. Maybe some newer cars are going to this. I don't know why they haven't gone to it on everything. Uh, especially the early sensors are metal stems, and mm-hmm. they would break off, um, thus leaving you with a flat tire or stranded. Or the the early versions had metal valve caps that would also corrode the metal stem, and you wouldn't be yep. able to get them off. Right. So stupid. Which is really bad because, as we know, that temperature varying is going to make tire pressure vary. So, whatever. I think it's one of those things that has maybe taken and made cars less safe because people don't pay attention to their tires anymore. Because, oh, if there's a problem with my tire, my dashboard will tell me. Yeah. So people just drive their cars until their tires fall off, basically. Uh, yeah, especially out where you live now. Yeah, well, out where, we, where I live, there's no there's no safety inspections either, so people just drive the car. If the car moves, they drive it until it doesn't move anymore. That's just how it works. So, And then you get a day like today where it's the first time it's rained here in a couple of months. So everything on the road comes to the surface, and the road is super slippery. And you just see, you know, anywhere the speed limit's higher than 40, you see car crashes because people don't have tire tread. So I saw a cobalt into a tree today on the way home. So it was... It's just the way we it's just, it's the way we roll out here, I guess. Yeah, it's basically all straight roads too. Well, in in the downtown part of the city, it is outside yeah. the city. It's not. But whatever. Yeah, this is a straight section of road the car was crashed on. No idea how, but I, I couldn't even begin to figure out how the accident happened. I just know I saw it. So, but yeah, I, don't, I, I think that's a simple a simple solution, and I don't know why most automakers don't do it. Maybe somebody who's in automotive engineering will know why that's not more common. But it just seems like I was stoked to find out my Volkswagen didn't have sensors. 
Yeah. It just made life, it just makes life easier. Yeah, I was surprised when I worked at the Audi dealer that they didn't. They're yeah, like, nope, just hand out regular valve stems. I'm like, cool. Yeah, it's one less thing to worry about. It's one less thing to replace. It's one less thing to worry about the tire changing shop breaking and making you buy a new one. Because most tire shops, if they break one taking it off, they don't buy it. They make you buy it because they say it's, you know, one-time use or whatever. So, and there were other ones that had, I think it was Ford, had like a giant band clamp that went around the inside of the wheel. Yep. So, I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of different ways they made them work. And it never made sense to me knowing that before we even had TPMS, we had ABS. So... The car's already new. Well, that's the thing. The sensors inside, even when they're on a band clamp, they still need batteries. Yep. And eventually the batteries die. And yep. they make the so the batteries aren't replaceable. Right. So you have to do the whole sensor. By the way, you'd have to take the wheel apart or the tire apart off the wheel. So, yep. yeah, it doesn't make sense. The smartest, most economical way is to just do it through the ABS. And then that's the other thing from a manufacturing standpoint. You're spending less money putting these four extra components in a car. Right. So, I don't know. It's weird. But That's... from a manufacturing standpoint, you're also losing money by not making people buy them 15 times over the life of the car. Oh, they yeah. I mean, <laughs> they don't really make that much off of TPMS sensors. Uh, some of them are very expensive. They're incredibly cars. expensive, but yeah. I don't think the goal is like, hey, we're going to sell this car. But where we're gonna really make it is on the TPMS sensors. <laughs> you're probably not. You're probably right. But I mean, they they certainly do make money on parts, so it's definitely yeah. a factor. But then again, I used to de- deal with um, Ford ABS sensors back in the day, like late '90s, early 2000s Fords. A lot of times, the tone rings would just break, so you wouldn't have ABS in those cars. They would they'd break a lot, and then you'd take the axle shaft out and put a new tone ring on the axle shaft. So, but that was just whatever kind of metal they were using. Apparently, wasn't uh, wasn't of the best quality for the northeast uh, climate that we lived in. All right. So enough about annoying TPMS sensors. Speaking of Ford, the Mach E has been officially released at the which auto show? I forget which auto show. L.A. L.A. I thought L.A. was later, but. It, it doesn't matter. Some auto show. New York, Detroit. I don't know. One of them. Um, I don't know. H- what do you think? Well, we already had our discussion about the fact that it should be called the E-Explorer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't harp on that anymore. Um, it's not unattractive. No. It's good looking. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but it's not unattractive. It's not It's not offensive looking. I think, it's better, I think it's better looking than the Tesla that it's compared to. Yeah. It does look like the new Austin Martin, um, either a plug-in hybrid SUV or full electric SUV. Okay. Because it has that very similar Ford styling from like 10 years ago. Right. Well, yeah, because part, part of Austin Mar- Austin Martin's heritage now, I said Austin, oof. Part of Aston Martin's heritage now is some Ford in it, so maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. I do like that it has, even though it's not an actual grill, that it does have a grill design on it. Because what so, I don't like about Teslas is that the fact that they don't have a grill, and it looks kind of weird to me. So this brings me back to my 1971 NSU. I know, I know. It doesn't. It has a fake grill. Yeah, but it's, and it's, then a, like a, it's a styling thing. But it's not bad because cars have grills. So yeah. when you take the grill away from a car, it makes it look odd. And it's just because it's the only one like that. So when they sold the NSU, they put this fake metal grill simulator, they called it, across the front of the car. Just yeah. make it blend in with traffic a little more. And it's 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 appreciated. Yeah, and I've and seen we'll... some of the Fords have it painted body color. And then there, isn't there like a, the GT or something comes with a black grill? I guess. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking of like a... Uh... Is like a Type 2, like a square back yep. Volkswagen? That yep. doesn't really have a grill. No, that's true. Um, but just the design of the car, it looks good without it. Yeah. Yeah, it works. I guess a Corvair really doesn't either. But, I don't know. Like the Beetle doesn't either, but the Beetle has such a different design than most cars on the road, it doesn't matter. Or a Porsche, a Porsche or something, it just has little grills in the bottom. 
I don't know. Maybe we're just used to those cars, but the Tesla, all the Tesla models look weird because they have a weird like beak in the front of them. Because the car comes to a point and then like wraps back around under, and there's no real need for it because there's nothing there, and there's no need to put a grill because there's nothing there to cool. So I understand why it's not there, but it just looks off to me. So I'm, I'm uh, quick correction, pedantic about the Aston Martin. I'm sorry, it's not a. Uh, I I don't know why I thought it was a hybrid. It's just Aston Martin's for, uh, first SUV. That's what it is. Okay. Cool. I don't know anything about it. What's Aston it called? Aston Martin you know? SUV. That's just what it's called? I mean, it looks like... Kind of looks like a Porsche, Macan, Cayman. So you just sent F-Pace. me a picture of it, it's, and I'm looking at it, and it looks to me like uh, a Porsche SUV with a Ford Fusion grill. Right. That's all I can see. I mean, hey, if it's... If you got to build these to make some money as a sports car company, I get it. Well, I've had that discussion with a few people um, at work or online or wherever over the past week that are complaining about the Mustang name being used in SUV. And we had a whole discussion about that, but it, it all comes back to Porsche. Porsche yes. made a, Porsche made sports cars. And everybody said Porsche should never make a sedan, should never make an SUV. And they built an SUV and everybody bought it. Right. And they built the, they built a sedan, and everybody bought it. Right. So now all these other manufacturers, these less niche manufacturers, are looking at this, going, "Oh, if this small, smaller volume manufacturer can make real car money by selling SUVs and sedans on their iconic names, on their iconic name, then what the hell? Why don't we?" Exactly. So that's that's what Ford is doing now, and. I've heard nothing but rumors over the past year that GM is going to break Corvette off into its own brand okay. to compete to compete with Porsche, and there's going to be a Corvette sedan and a Corvette SUV just to be into the Porsche market. So I think in the 2019 or coming into 2020 space that we're in, it doesn't offend me and it makes sense. Because if you can sell a product with that name, then you might as well because people are going to buy it. And you're not replacing the Mustang. You're not replacing the Porsche 911. You didn't, you didn't replace, it to, to take it back to our world, you didn't replace the Eclipse with the Eclipse Cross. You just made new models to supplant and to be with the other models. So I don't see it as a bad thing. I mean, at first it was like, oh, shocking, Porsche made an SUV. The, the, the end is nigh. The world is ending. You know, car enthusiasm is over forever. But... Once these things came out and we saw there was kind of a place for it, for a buyer that had it, it's not for me. I'm not going to buy one, but I'm not going to poo-poo Porsche for trying to make money. I'm not going to poo-poo Ford for calling this thing a Mustang, even though I still think it should be called an Explorer. I'm not going to poo-poo them, though, for calling it a Mustang and making a electric SUV that has a similar range to an already available electric SUV. It's a little bit slower, but not a lot slower than the currently available Tesla SUV. But the important thing is, it's like sixty grand. Yeah. So it's half the price. I don't know what a Tesla SUV goes for, but I know it's to the six figures. Oh yeah, it's probably a hundred grand. So you're talking almost half the price for similar technology and similar range. Yeah. I don't see why they're not going to have a million of these things on the road. Is they can sell them as fast as they can build them? I'm pretty sure. Because in the in the day and age that we're in, sixty grand for an SUV isn't absurd. No. It's more than I would spend. It's more than you would spend. It's more than most of our listeners would probably spend because we all like $800 specials. But at the end of the day, it's not outrageous. And it's not outrageous for Ford's first foray into this kind of technology. So I don't... I, I don't want to... I, I sit here in my ideal brain saying I don't want to talk about electric cars. I don't want to have anything to do with electric cars. I want to drive carburetors till I die. But... I also have to understand that the time is coming, it's changing, and we're already dinosaurs, so. You're probably going to have an electric car at some point, and I might. Um, you're probably going to have an electric hot-rodded car at some point. It's entirely possible. I could I could see myself driving a electric Colt around. It's not that you have to give up everything that you have. Like, that doesn't mean that, like oh, my God, all of a sudden there's electric cars here. We have to give up everything. No, no, no. It's just it might just be that your daily is replaced by an electric vehicle, and that's fine. 
Um, but what's cool about this is that now we're seeing one of the biggest automotive manufacturers in the world is finally building a vehicle to directly compete with a Tesla. Yeah. Now, Porsche came out with their, I forget what the hell it's called, but some fully electric thing. Taycan? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I didn't really care that much about it. Uh, I guess it's well, no, kind because of a big it's, deal. It, yeah, well, it's, it's out of our realm. It is a big deal because it's a direct Tesla competitor that has the same luxury price as a Tesla, but now has the actual build quality of an established German make. So Less range, but I'm not worried about that because Porsche is all about evolution. Uh, yeah. That car will quickly, quickly come up to the range that it needs, I bet. Yep. Yeah, and, and what they say what they say about that car is that the battery is a, a higher. Uh, an electric car guy is going to correct me. Is kilowatt hours or kilowatts or whatever the the battery is, is like double that of the Tesla, which doesn't make more power, but it makes charging it faster, easier. So it yeah. can charge in like half the time of a Tesla. And I think Potent- potentially. Yeah, and I think my feeling with Tesla is it's not. It wasn't created to be this powerhouse electric car builder it was built to be a disruptor and um you know if you didn't have teslas you wouldn't have these take on you wouldn't have this e mach e um and their goal is probably not to sell the most cars but to pioneer the technology and then probably patent the stuff and then license it uh and then probably be the people to go to for building batteries because it sounds like tesla is really working on building battery factories versus yeah, doubling down on that yeah so that's where they think their stuff's going to come from um so that's interesting to me and then of course all these extra electric vehicles that are going out there eventually they're going to end up in junkyards uh so there is going to be a thriving thriving hot rod electric market i guarantee it uh, there, there already is a hot rod market out there. I mean, it's not mainstream yet, but there's already an electric drag racing series. There's already um, people that are taking vintage cars and electrifying them. There's already people buying, you know, used Leaf engines or excuse me, Leaf motors, and putting them in older cars because older cars are lightweight, so it makes them still pretty quick, even though the Leaf was pretty pretty slow. So it's 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 definitely coming. It's I'm just I'm just turning the corner to fuel injection myself, so I don't know how far behind I am, but we'll we'll get there eventually. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get to multi-port, uh, and then uh, well, no, maybe, slow down, slow slow down, man. I gotta start with some TBIs, some some good maybe, old-fashioned maybe. electronic carburetors. Yeah, maybe we can uh, get you on some direct injection. I mean, I've had it before. What did you have that had direct injection? Other than your diesels. Your diesels are technically direct injection. Other than, well, I haven't had direct injection, but I've had these diesel direct injection, yes, but never. I haven't personally owned a new enough Volkswagen to have that, except for a diesel one. But, listen, I've had plenty of multi-board injected cars, all right? I even drove one today. It's fine. Anyway. So, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the vehicle is interesting, going back to the, the Mach-E. I think it's interesting. I think that we'll start seeing them on the road. I don't think they're going to have a problem selling them. Um, I'm kind of excited to try to drive one. I haven't driven a Tesla outside of a parking lot either yet, so um, I'm kind of interested to try to drive these electric things and see what the future holds. And My electric experience goes nothing beyond riding in the passenger seat of a early Tesla and driving go-karts, so... Yeah, we'll see what's next. I mean, I was I was considering an e-golf. Um, mm-hmm. There's still, in my opinion, not enough rebates for how much they cost. Not in Massachusetts. In other no. states, there are yeah. because in California. Are, yeah, that's the problem with them is there's a ten thousand dollar premium on top of a GTI. Yep. And for me, a GTI would be way more fun. Right. If if the e-golf was cheaper than the GTI. Uh, yeah, it would make it more seriously considered. Yeah, I I get that for sure. Yeah, that's and that's what Ford coming out with this vehicle 
you know, and and as just like anything, you know, a forty-five inch flat-screen television was ten grand at one point, and now right. they're three hundred and twenty-five dollars. So it's it's just like anything when te- when technology is involved, the prices of these things will come down, and as the prices come down, we'll see more and more of them, and more and more people can adopt. Um, I could honestly see myself um, like dipping my toes in the water of electric vehicles with a motorcycle. Yes. That would kind of be more my my potential thoughts about buying something like that. And there's a that, few of them out there already, too. Yeah, that definitely interests me. Because um, they're like, that is almost like the perfect vehicle to be electrified. Mm-hmm. Because they already, um, you know, they kind of don't have as strict emission standards. They do have more emission standards now, yep. but it's one less gas engine on the road. And there's, then you don't even less... need to have a transmission. Right. So, like, as far as, you know, the challenge of, you know, using the clutch and shifting a motorcycle, you know, it's not super hard. You can get it, but immediately off the bat, you don't have to do it. I think the coolest thing about electric motorcycles currently is that the regulations for producing and selling a motorcycle are so much lower than a car. A motorcycle doesn't have crash standards. It doesn't have airbags. It doesn't need to be crash tested. Um, it doesn't need a lot of those things. You could start a motorcycle company, you know, theoretically in your garage in your backyard. Right. Um, and you could register a, as a home-built motorcycle without much issue, whereas, especially electric, whereas in most states, you can't even register a kit car without jumping through hoops, let alone trying to make a brand new manufacturer. Right. So I think that you're going to see in the next few years that the electric motorcycle industry is going to have a lot of startup kind of companies. Um, it'll be like, you know, computers in the 80s, but for electric motorcycles now, there'll be tons of them coming out. Um, and then eventually the, the the market will be, will dictate that you can buy one pretty affordably. And I could see myself having an electric motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Once, uh, you know... Harley's got one, but it's too expensive right now. It's like thirty grand. It yeah, they kind of. I think they made a mistake making it so expensive, even yeah. though it's a nice product. Right. It needs to be half. It needs to be. It needs to be half that. Yeah. To get people to adopt it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, once you get a Honda, a uh, a Yamaha to come out with one that's you know, between seven and ten grand. Yep. Yeah, you got that'll take off. And there, there are some independent companies now that are, I can't think of the name of them top of my head because I didn't prepare myself to talk about electric motorcycles no. tonight. It just kind of came to my head. Yep. But there's a few of them that are out here in the West Coast that are already pretty established. Um, and I've seen a couple of them running around town. And they're actually, they're neat looking bikes. So I can see myself uh, possibly doing that. I think the other thing that needs to make, that we need to make sure happens as far as the electric, you know, cars coming out is I'm not familiar with the charging systems. Yeah. Um, I know I see Tesla superchargers all over the place at malls and whatever, but you can only charge a Tesla there, correct? Off the top of my head, I believe so. Um, there is, I did look into this a few years ago, there are standards for charging. That's like what we a need. standard style charger. Um, yeah. And we need to make it consistent for a long time. Like cars yeah. have always just had a hole you put gas in. We can't have this, you know, cell phone charging thing where you have. Uh, a USB and then a USB mini and a USB micro and a USB C and yeah. it can't be changing all the time. It needs to be something that's going to yeah, work for well, a long time. I think I think the SAE has established um, a standard for the US and I believe there's a standard for Japan and there's probably a European standard, which would make sense. Right. Um, so when you drive your car to Europe, you have to bring the adapter with you like your hair dryer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the two-prong <laughs> adapter. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was twenty five years when we're importing used electric cars. We'll have to worry about the standards of plugging them in. But I don't know. It's 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 an interesting future, and you know, I've I've gone full circle on it since probably the first time we talked about it because I was pretty anti it before, and I don't know. Maybe it's just being hit with it and seeing more of it, and you know, talking about it more and seeing more of them and knowing that they're not going to be terrible cars. Maybe I'm kind of turning the corner a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't mean that I don't want to play with old cars anymore. I just 
I'm a curious person. I just want to know about this technology. I want to keep up with it because it's yeah. interesting. It's just another piece of car tech to to nerd out over. So yep. that's why I'm into electric cars or into talking about them. Yep, absolutely. Speaking of old junk cars. Yep. Uh, have you worked at anything recently? I've only put in the compass bulbs into the Montero. And did it solve the problem of not having lights? Yeah. Excellent. I thought they turned on when you turn the lights on, but apparently they run all the time, and that's probably why they burned out. Oh, okay. Well, it's hard to see that thing during the day, so that makes sense. Yeah, because it's just an LCD, old-school LCD. And then, like, maybe that's what happened to the original one. Like, the bulbs just got too hot, and then they burned the backside of it, because that's what it looked like. Yeah, potentially. Uh, but yeah, the junkyard one that I got had burned out bulbs, so I got new ones at the dealer for like, t- the two bulbs were like $5 and change. The, the, the plastic screw-in bases? Yeah. They're okay. very specific. I couldn't just pop like a couple of uh, not 194s. They're really tiny, the tiny bulbs that usually go in the cluster. You can pull those out right. and swap them. But uh, yeah, they had their own little bulbs. Um, and yeah, it, it's great. And then I got to do the fun calibration, which is you go to a, a big parking lot and you drive, drive it in a circle. Figure eight. Okay. But it's like when you calibrate your cell phone, you have to like swing it in a, cir- a circular, yeah. or say a figure eight motion in front of you. So it's probably a very similar technique to yep. resetting the thing in the truck. But I haven't done a lot myself in the past week. Um, the Eclipse, uh-huh. I finally did that oil change last week I talked about. So before I drove it down there, I've had a yep. nasty lifter tick in that car since I got it. And it's a, it's a strange lifter tick because it's not consistent. Um, it, you, know, you can have the car idling at, you know, 900 RPM and the lifters will be quiet. And then they'll start ticking and then they'll be quiet again. And you can be driving the car at 4,000 RPM and the lifters will be quiet. And then they'll start ticking, and it'll be quiet again. So it didn't make much sense other than the fact that their products were dirty and sticky. Um, so before I did that oil change, I dumped uh, yep. half a bottle of seafoam into the oil. And I drove it through two heating, mm-hmm. uh, two cycles of like warming and cooling. Um, and huh. it's made a remarkable difference. So it still happens. Yeah. Um, just less often. So I think I'll be doing yeah. that again before I do the next oil change. I may even do an oil change early yeah. just to help clean it out a little bit more. So that's my first time ever using seafoam in anything. So um, and I, I'm definitely, it definitely made a noticeable difference. It's not like, uh, you know, hey, I did something, so maybe it's better. But it's, it's, it's 100% yeah, I don't definitely made know difference. what the stuff is chemically. It's so. some sort of detergent thing because you can put it in fuel, you can put it in oil, um, but yeah, it does seem to work. Yep. Uh, it's like, well, the the other trick I've I've heard people put yeah. mar- a little bit of marble mystery oil in with noisy ticker, noisy lifters in a in a Mitsubishi, um, which maybe I could do too. But I wanted to get it cleaned out as best as possible. I mean, obviously we can pull the valve cover off, pull the cams out, and well, that requires you know, doing a time clean, clean the lifters. So, but that's annoying. Right, I was trying to avoid doing that. And worst case scenario, if I do have to do it, I'll do it. But. If I can make it quieter for now, I'll make it quieter for now. Yeah. So, especially because the timing belt only has like 4,000 miles on it. Well, you <laughs> wouldn't have to replace it, but you have to take it off and reset it. You might as well replace it at that point. Even you buy yourself an extra 4,000 miles for 30 bucks, you know, <laughs> whatever. So the um, if you ever have them out, you'll see like the – it's like a pinhole, and then the revised ones just have like a much bigger opening – Yep. Um, and I don't know if the original style was that they didn't want the oil to drain down as quick. It was probably so that, so you wouldn't get a, a huge clatter on startup. Right. Um, but then the downside of that it clogs. is they that they clog easier. easily and then just rattle anyways. So. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, if I do take it apart, I probably will put the revised ones in there. I probably would not reuse those ones. So. Oh, yeah. I think you can only well. buy the revised. Yeah, you can only buy the revised ones now, anyway. So yeah, you just well, I said, I said re- other than just cleaning those, I would just buy new ones. So and then the funny thing too 
is that, um, like, I've got revised ones in both of my cars, but I never noticed that not neither one of them clatters on startup. So I, I don't know. It's like, and, and those cars will sit for weeks at a time. I don't know. That's the other funny thing about the Eclipse is that even if the car sits for a week and I start it up, it doesn't clatter right away. It only clatters after it's been running for 20 seconds or so. Yeah, so it's probably one with some debris in it. Could be. And it goes dead a little bit, and you get that clatter, and then it'll, you know, breaks loose and fills up or something. Yeah, I don't know. But nonetheless, it's a little less annoying than it was. Um, it used to be anytime I would pull into a parking lot or something, I'd be almost embarrassed because it was so loud coming out of the car. But it's definitely a lot. It's calmed down a lot now, so that's good. I think it keeps getting it keeps getting better. So I'm having an issue now also with the Volkswagen. Oh yeah. I'm not sure if it's an issue or if it's me being paranoid or what's happening. Yeah. Um, but both I have noticed it driving it, and I had Naomi drive it, and she can feel it as well. I don't don't know if it's an engine issue, a fuel injection issue, or a transmission issue. Yeah. Um, in third and fourth gear at a cruising speed. So say if you're going down like a like a main road at 30, 35, and you're just kind of in third gear because you're in between lights, you're not shifting up to fourth. Um, or you're in fourth gear doing, you know, similar thing like 10 miles an hour faster maybe. The car will buck. It won't do a steady, like, slow cruise in that gear. And I'm not saying it's going slow enough to, like, lug the engine. So it shouldn't be doing that because they can be doing the same RPM in 5th and 6th gear and not have the issue. Um, I noticed it maybe a little bit in 1st gear, but you don't spend that much time, like, coasting at the that RPM in 1st gear. Um, but, yeah, 3rd and 4th gear for sure. The car will buck around a lot. So I've been trying to, like, do some online research to kind of see if this is a common problem. And I see a lot of people have had this complaint with the DSG cars. Yeah. Um, and a couple with manual cars. But they had said it was during warm-up. And mine's kind of all the time. Hmm. So I'm not sure what is going on exactly yet. So it makes me a little bit nervous. But it might just be the car. I don't, I don't think it's a fuel issue because I would think that that wouldn't be an issue at a steady RPM. It would be an issue up higher Well, there's a fuel problem. Are you coasting when it's doing this? Lightly on throttle. Like just enough to maintain a speed. Like I said, third gear, like 30-ish miles an hour or 35 miles an hour. What RPM is this? I don't remember. Probably somewhere in the twos, low twos. And you're, but you're in low twos and you're up in like third and fourth, probably. Might the, be red line in this that car might be enough to lug the engine actually. Well, the red line in this car is only like forty eight hundred or something. Yeah, but that's that's pretty low RPM though. I don't know. I, I'll have to check the RPM again when I do it. When I drive the car tomorrow. It's just it, it's something that I noticed it here and there, and now I'm noticing it more and more. I don't know if I'm noticing it more and more because I'm doing the same commute every day. And I'm just in that same, like, you know, range of speed. Um, I don't think it's a clutch issue because the car shifts fine and comes off the line fine. It's just that, like, mid-range kind of weirdness, and I don't love it. I know what to do. Downshift? Put seafoam in it. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Put in the gas. (coughs) Actually, I did just crack 60,000 miles in the car. Yeah. So it is time for a service. Uh, yeah, it might be due for like a fuel filter, diesel fuel filter. Uh, I think it is. No, I think it's a seventy-five thousand mile service in that car. Diesel fuel is it, wicked gross, and like yeah, you need a good filter on it. Yeah, I know it's it's, it's less refined than regular fuel is. I know that for a fact. And I guess I could have gotten bad fuel somewhere that's clogging something. So maybe that'll be the first try. But I know, I think the only recommended service from Volkswagen at 60K might be, maybe it's a fuel filter. I know it's brake fluid flush. That's about it. So I'll look into it. But, and actually, I, I don't know if they did a fuel filter when I bought the car. They might have. No, they might not have. 
Well, they also might have, that's what I'm saying. So I'll have to look into the the history of it, because that would only have 20,000 miles on mm-hmm. it. So I do know that changing the view filter in my truck when I had it made a huge difference, yeah. because it was barely driving. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's all. It's not really a project car update, just a thought that I'm currently having that I'm trying to to get through. So whatever. So I had to work on things, but I did do some events. Yeah. You sent me some pictures. Where'd you go? So it's winter time, which means that you guys are all putting cars away and the roads are salted. That's right. So now it's time for me to have the one of the main reasons that I moved here is because winter time won't be terrible. So we had Friday night, we had this gigantic um, kind of out of the realm of normal interest for the Auto Topic podcast. Um, but all Chevy truck show out here. Yeah. It's off topic. There, That's what we yep, do. There's a, and I've always liked Chevy trucks. Actually, when I was a kid, like a 68 to 72 Chevy truck was like my dream. So, um, there's a company out here <clears throat> called like Dino's Appliance and Dino's Appliance. The guy who owns it is a huge Chevy truck nerd. And he started hosting these events called Dino's Chevy only. Mm-hmm. And Dino's Chevy only events have quickly become the, like, if you own a Chevy C10 truck or any or any Chevy truck pretty much at this point from, like, 95 down. So the the square body style to the replacement right after that, but not beyond that. Um, you, you come from all over the country to go to Dino's shows. Interesting. So, he, yeah, he has what his big show here is called the Get, the get Down, the G-I-T Down, the Get Down, because it's... Southern, I guess, or whatever. But anyway, so Hadino's Get Down was last Friday night at a uh, a big mall that we have here in, in outside of Phoenix, the West, the Westgate, and uh, they were probably at the peak of the show. There were probably four hundred trucks there. Whoa! And this is on a work day. It was Friday, like midday Friday. Show started at like noontime. Um, I didn't even get there until after dark because I was at work. Um, but after five, there was still probably three hundred trucks there easily. Um, and it just, it definitely reignited my love of old Chevy trucks for sure, because there's so many parts vendors out there for these things now. Um, from the, there were trucks there from the thirties through the mid nineties and, you know, various customs from lowered, low rider style to jacked up monster truck style and everything in between. Um, and it was neat because you would think that if you were at a show that was just Chevy pickup trucks, it would get boring after a while. But there's so much variety in that world that every truck had something interesting to look at on it. Um, a couple of the big companies, um, the Square Body Syndicate is actually out here in Phoenix, I guess. And they're one of the well-known Square Body companies. Um, there was... Companies that make hot rod chassis that now make chassis for these C10 pickup trucks. There was air suspension companies because obviously, you know, pickup trucks are huge in the air suspension world. Um, There was trucks that were fresh off of SEMA that left SEMA and came down to Phoenix for this event. Um, I know that the, um, the the big camper that was huge at SEMA this year, the brown one, was there. Um, there was a little brown square body that was there that was at SEMA. There was, you know, a 64 Chevy that was all jacked up crew cab. That was a SEMA car this year. Um, there's a guy who has the 63 C30 ambulance that used to have a TV show on Velocity out of California. Uh, his truck was there. That guy was kind of cool. Um, it was just anybody who's anybody in the Chevy truck world was there. Um, I guess he does a couple shows a year, but this is his big one. And uh, I, I, it's not a show that I was even aware of because <laughs> I'm not in that world <laughs> until a coworker told me about it. And I'm definitely glad I went. Um, it was a really good time. It was really neat to see a totally different side of car culture that I'm not really ingrained in, per se. Um, it's, they happened to hold it. The reason they held it on Friday is because it was Good Guys Weekend here in Phoenix. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> which is the big hot rod show that's, you know, nationwide. I did not go to that. Um, lame. No. So what the, lame, the real lame thing is, 
is that for a spectator, for a one-day pass, not including parking, it's $25. Well, I mean, is it that as a, a non, As a non-participant in the show, to spend 50 bucks for two people plus another 15 to park is a lot of money it to is. go to a car show. <clears throat> and we're talking an outdoor car show. It's not like it's a inside of a building or anything like it's it's just I was all stoked to go because the good guys is one of those things that's like oh the good guys car show all the you know that's a traditional hot rod show it has been for years um but I just I I'm not going to spend $65 for the two of us to go to a car show for a few hours to walk around so and on top of it there was 3,000 cars there so you have that many cars and that many spectators I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars coming into this. It just... Maybe I'm grumpy about it for no apparent reason, but I just... And maybe if it was something I cared more about, I would have had much less of a problem paying $200 to get in. But I just... I couldn't bring myself to do it. So, did not go to the Good Guys show. But another thing I did this weekend... It was a very busy car weekend out here. There was literally events... Every day, I, I had to pick and choose what events to do. There was a vintage motorcycle event. Um, it was four till fours, um, Euro and JDM meet. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, that's what they do on the second Sunday of the second Saturday of the month. Oh, that's cool. Yep, and the third Saturday is um, vintage trucks, like uh, SUVs and stuff. Oh, neat. Yep. Um, so unfortunately, I had to pick and choose. So I chose to do. Um, I had heard about this group out here called Beyond Phoenix. Um, they're a, they, they call themselves a club, but there's no, like, there doesn't seem to be any structure of a club. There's no dues or, like, hierarchy. Um, there's just one guy who kind of, like, takes over the thing, I guess. Um, I'd heard about these events they do. They do, they don't do meets. They don't do parking lot meets. They do drives. Okay. And they do destination drives, and they do scenic drives, and they do, like, back road drives. Um, the one thing that tricked me, because I'm from Massachusetts, was they do a thing called a shooter's cruise. So I assumed that this was a, like, picture-taking event. Nope. But in Arizona, a shooter's cruise is you take your car, and you go on a long drive with these guys, and you end at a, um, a firing range. And you actually shoot guns, which is cool, but not what I expected. I was like, oh, cars, shooters crews, must be a picture-taking event. I was wrong. Uh, but anyway, so we did, um, they call it, there's a, a dam here called the Coolidge Dam. It's on an Indian reservation about 130 miles outside of Phoenix, up Route 60 past uh, the city of Globe, Arizona. Um, so it's up in the mountains where there's really fun driving roads and some dirt road passes and um it was a small group there were like six people and it was a pretty varied group of cars there was everything from my eclipse to an frs to a fourth gen camaro ss um to a honda civic si i think that'd be like a sixth gen like a 2013 um and a honda fit and a uh, a lowered full-size pickup truck so it was a pretty varied group of cars decent group of people. It was neat to kind of get into a whole another realm of car culture out here in Arizona. Um, and I'll certainly be doing more drives with them because it was both like respectful to other people on the road and fun at the same time. So it was definitely a good time and I can't wait to do more things with these guys because why not? We have cars to drive them. I like this idea of having Cruises versus beats, and it's a new group of people to talk cars with, you know? So, it was a good time. It reminded me a lot of being, like, uh, a much younger enthusiast. Like, back when we were in our, you know, early 20s, and we'd have, like, our local car forums, and we'd go out and meet up and just drive around all night. It reminded me a lot more of that those times in my life, but everybody that was involved was, you know... The guy that runs it's probably fifty, <laughs> so yeah. it was like, it was it was a it was like an older group of enthusiasts, and I mean it was it was it just it was just an old school style hangout like we used to have back in the day, and I, and I and I appreciated that, and it was fun. 
So it's a good cheap day. Just pay for some gas and go out and drive around. Explore new parts of places you haven't been before. So that's what we're into cars for ultimately in the end is to drive them, right? So it was definitely a uh, it was definitely a change of pace. So I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah. Any car events out there? Oh, wait. Sorry. Burn. Burn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nope. Not much else. Nope. Just playing Forza. Uh, yeah, actually, I've been playing Wreckfest. Oh, that's right, too. I, get, I have to buy that. It's just, it's just super fun. You don't have to think about it. It's just super fun. Right, just crash. Yep. That's that sounds fun. Um, all right. So yeah, I think that's an episode. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um until next week. As always, follow us on Facebook, Auto Off Topic Podcast, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Follow me, Race and Anger on Instagram. Uh Brad, where can they find you? Uh they can find me on Instagram at T S I S S three five zero. Cool. And I think you put up pictures of uh, that Chevy show. I put them on our auto off topic page. Yep. Yep. And I don't know if you had any more pictures from the drive you could put on the auto off topic page. I have a ton. I just haven't had a chance to edit them yet because of work and life. So hopefully later this week. All right. Cool. So as always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses.